Well, hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. Uh, I am your co-host, Matt Larson, along with, as always, Cricket Lou. And today we are joined by Graham Bunton, who is uh, the head of the new DNS Abuse Institute. Hey, Matt. Welcome, hey, Graham. Cricket. Yeah, Thanks well. for having me. Pleased to be here. So we did our characteristic uh, usual amount of preparation for this episode, uh, which was not terribly much preparation. But as Cricket pointed out before we um, started recording, we thought that'd be a great opportunity to kind of come into this relatively cold and you can tell us all about the, the DNS Abuse Institute. But maybe you want to first tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, sure. That's probably a good uh, a good intro. Um, uh, so I, I guess I've been at this this whole thing longer than I care to admit. Um, I sort of got into this weird space of politics and technology in my undergrad working for a place called the Citizen Lab, uh, which is now, I think, pretty reasonably famous for being like a foremost research center on internet censorship and surveillance. Um, and that was super fun and really piqued my interest for how the internet works and the implications of the internet. You know, fast forward quite a number of years, finished my degree, bounce around a little bit, uh, and end up working for a registrar called Two Cows, pretty sizable registrar, oh, yeah. based in uh, based here in Toronto, which also has this like super rich history um, in sort of you know running a shareware download site in the early days of the internet, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it really punches above its weight in the internet governance world and and participates heavily in in ICANN related things, and I got into that. Uh, and so for the previous 10 years had been um, the sort of head of public policy for, I mean, I wasn't the head the whole time, uh, you know, <laughs> career advances, and more responsibility, lucky me. Uh, so it was really going very deep in the ICANN um, policy development world, running PDPs. I was chair of the registrar stakeholder group um, for four years in there, which is so far the longest anyone has ever done that job, but that's also 100% because I changed the bylaws to allow that long a term in the middle. Um, uh, uh, and so I was having a great time uh, working at Two Cows and, and doing lots of internet governance stuff. Um, but was also doing some work around DNS abuse. And we'll talk, I think, a little bit about what that means in a, in a few minutes. Um, and that was becoming a topic of increasing interest within the ICANN community and uh, that bit of the DNS community. And I, I think you guys and myself come from very different ends of the DNS world. And we'll make sure to define our terms a little carefully um, to ensure we don't get confused about what we're talking about. Uh, but there is this sort of increasing awareness that there was a problem with how domain names were being used. Uh, and that some people use them quite maliciously and or sometimes websites are hacked and being used for malicious purposes. Um, and then also, and this was very apparent from my role within the ICANN community, that registrars, by and large, and that was the bit I was more familiar with, are terrible at uh, collaborating. You know, this is a, uh, a high volume, low margin business uh, that is global, and these guys are fighting with each other tooth and nail to acquire business every day. And the idea that there is this problem that exists that is a collective issue and requires collective action is just like, it's a real, it's a real problem. Uh, and, and no one was well um, situated to, to come at that. So that was the thing I was feeling. 
um, and in the middle of. And um, I'm now segueing from who am I into the Institute. I hope you don't mind. It's, a, no. it's maybe a long monologue and I apologize. Um, uh, I'd worked a bunch with the, the folks at um, uh, PIR, Public Interest Registry, who run .org over the course of my ICANN work. Um, and they sort of floated this idea of this DNS Abuse Institute because they'd seen the same problems that I had, that there is you know, real issues around the way domains are being used uh, and a lack of collective uh, action on it. Um, and it really needed someone to coordinate uh, solutions to that problem. Um, and so I was, I was pretty interested. This was like a real shot at making the internet better and safer for everyone. And, and so here I am now three and a bit months into running the Institute, which is not, you know, right now it's really just me. Um, uh, but we've uh, largely just finished working on our uh, roadmap, which is pretty exciting. And so, you know, we're pretty close, I think, from being an organization that talks a lot and does a bunch of planning into an organization that actually begins to, to do stuff. And so I'm pretty pleased about where we are. So um, I am interested in in your, your definition of DNS abuse um, or the organization's uh, definition of DNS abuse, because of course, kind of runs the gamut, right? I mean, uh, using uh, open recursive DNS servers as amplifiers and DDoS attacks, that's, a, that's DNS abuse. Um, or, or just using uh, using DNS to point to command and control infrastructure, or uh, I mean, how how broad a definition is it, Graham? Good question, and one that the community really struggles with in an interesting fashion. And and so, uh, uh, I'm I'm of two minds on this because I think it's really interesting to dig into the weeds on how this is defined and what the implications of that definition are. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, I run this institute that needs to get something done and make an impact. And in order to do that, we have to approach this from at least a reasonably constrained and tightly defined space. Mm -hmm. So I will say that this the, the definition we operate under currently um, is very much from the ICANN registrar registry side of things. So uh, much less you know, open resolvers and amplification attacks and way more uh, how domain names in specifically are being used to cause harm. Uh, and and there's there's a, a tension here that's I find kind of interesting, which is registrars and registries who control domain names can do something with them, you know, which is not a lot, turn them on or off by and large, uh, redirect them, I suppose. Uh, don't feel comfortable resolving a broad array of harms online, you know, especially where we get into content issues. Yeah. There are lots of other people in the world uh, with real problems that may be content related, that may be about what the domain itself is doing or the actual string of the domain name. Uh, and the rest of the internet infrastructure is largely anarchic, right? There is no centralized authority except for the DNS. And so they often find themselves trying to resolve their problems at the layer of the DNS because it's the only one that you can get your sort of hands around. Um, and so the uh, registrars and registries really have uh, defined DNS abuse in a relatively concrete way be, uh, around a set of problems that they feel are appropriate for themselves to tackle and um, you know, are they feel empowered to do so. Uh, 
Uh, and so that's the definition that the Institute adopted um, and will continue to use. And, and we do that um, because at the end of the day, what we want to do is enable registries and registrars to take action against these online harms. And if there's a disconnect between what we think those harms are and what they think those harms are, uh, we're going to have a problem. And so within the ICANN world anyway, um, registries and registrars have adopted a definition of DNS abuse that is the distribution of malware, uh, botnet command and control infrastructure, uh, farming and phishing, and spam, but spam only where it uh, is a vehicle for those other previous four harms. Okay, um, so just, I get a lot of advertisements. Wouldn't cut it. Right. Yeah, so I have some familiarity from an ICANN perspective uh, with the whole counting spam as DNS abuse because I've been in the room when my colleague, John Crane, the uh, CASO of ICANN has been talking to the registrar community and the registry community uh, about ICANN's DAR, the Domain Abuse Activity Reporting Tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know there was a huge debate about whether or not spam uh, is indicative of a domain uh, being used for abuse. And and I the, the the community response that I've seen is is overwhelmingly against counting spam because that that gets close to content issues and content is kind of a third rail in terms of ICANN's um, stewardship. Yeah, that's. Totally right, and then and and then even just collecting um, data on uh, spam gets difficult um, uh, because of the you need to make sure you've got full headers of information to look at spam appropriately, and um, uh, that turns out to be difficult for some people to provide, and so we end, we find ourselves frequently in pretty funny spaces trying to assess spam as DNS abuse. Spoofing is just so common. Um, it's a real, that, that one's thorny. So, uh, I, so because I find this discussion kind of interesting, uh, at the end of the day, everything is ultimately, maybe not everything, whether it's a botnet command and control infrastructure or whether it is um, uh, you know, malware being distributed on a compromised website, those are all, or even a harmful tweet, let's say, those are all resources that are being resolved. So that's like, a, if you're drawing this as like a diagram, there's a giant circle, circle that is resolved things. And then inside that circle, what we're really trying to do is articulate the space where it's appropriate for a registrar or registry to act. And that's really what the DNS Abuse Institute is trying to come at, where those places that registries and registrars should be acting. And then the goal of the Institute is to make that as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. So it, it looked to me, Graham, from my very brief visit to the website, uh, like one of the things you were doing was to offer some sort of, of mechanism for coordinating activity among, among registrars. Yeah, so we will be, I think is the short okay. answer. Um, uh, the Institute was sort of founded with these three pillars of education, collaboration, and innovation. Um, and you know, I think the education is relatively self-explanatory. There's lots of people who don't understand what DNS abuse is. Um, uh, there's lots of registries and registrars who could really use some great insight and best practices on how to approach it and solve those problems. 
you know, law enforcement on how to report it, um, you know, those sorts of things that fall into that education bucket. The collaboration is interesting. Um, that's really, um, you know, making sure as much of the community is coordinated and talking to each other as possible. There is the um, sharing of intelligence on what's happening and how they're being exploited. Uh, and we need to do a bunch of that. And, and that one, I think, is a neat, a neat problem because there's some of that that exists already. There's a number of different venues for people to gather and share intelligence on online harms, be it you know botnets or malware. Um, but they have this sort of neat to me organic flow where they, they gain a, a mass where they're useful for people and there's good information being shared. And then ultimately, you know, enough people see that value that they want in and then there's too many and, uh, and people stop trusting it uh, anymore and it becomes less valuable and people don't use it. And there's like this organic ebb and flow of these things. And so I need to figure out for that purpose for the Institute where we really will have valuable information to share is there an existing one of these forums that we can use um, and uh, participate in? Do we need to create our own and ask people to participate and trust in other space? Um, so we're still working through that problem because I think it's kind of thorny. Yeah, yeah. How has um, the reception been among the various registrars? I know that the PR, uh, sorry, PIR, the Public Interest Registry, with which uh, the institute is affiliated is is very public spirited. So I'd hope that other other registrars would say, "Oh yeah, this is something that that we like to participate in." Yeah. I, so I think it's it's by and large it's really positive, um, uh, especially amongst the registrars sort of engaged in the ICANN space, where they they see the problems, uh, they understand the consequences of of getting all of this wrong, uh, and are enthusiastic about seeing some coordinated effort to these problems. Uh, there are sort of two related things around this perception. One is there's a huge long tail of registries and or more registrars and registries, but some registries as well that really have very little to do with that ICANN world and aren't engaged in the space at all. And we really need to figure out who they are and how to communicate with them and mm -hmm. um, um, you know get them on board and get them up to speed. Uh, and then there's another little piece that that the institute ultimately needs to address, which is um, uh, ensuring that people see the institute as not a uh, public relations effort from PIR. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm trying to do that by ensuring people understand the, uh, you know, even if we don't have legal independence, which we'll look at ultimately. Um, uh, but at least neutrality from the Institute. Um, I'm not looking at any of PIR's internal abuse cues. You know, their policies are all their own. My job is to really look externally and do this sort of coordination and um, uh, education piece. Um, there's a last pillar that I, I kind of didn't talk about, but I'll mention briefly, which is this, this innovation thing. Um, and this is really where we see gaps in the commercial solutions for registries and registrars and or how the, the you know, tools available um, uh, and, and look at building them. 
and so this is going to be fun. I think this is really going to be the funnest bit of the of the institute is really identifying these gaps, figuring out if it's appropriate for us to fill them, and then going and and building things, which is pretty neat. And so I think we've got a pretty good list so far of like some key initiatives that are going to hopefully be extremely valuable for the community. Can you talk about any of those, even at a high level, like the sort of things? Sure. Uh, so, I, you know, I will preface this with, you know, working on this sort of roadmap or strategy for the Institute has been, you know, the, my primary work for the past couple months. And, and we'll, I had my, I have an advisory council of some great, smart people, um, uh, three former ICANN board members depending on how you feel about the ICANN board. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can see that as a good or a bad thing. Um, uh, but I, I finished running my advisory council uh, through my roadmap uh, yesterday. Um, and so I'm taking their feedback and, and my goal is to make this public before the next ICANN meeting, which is sort of uh, mid-June. So we're, I'm front running it a little bit, but um, uh, I've talked about these things in a couple little other places, so I don't feel too bad about sharing them here. Uh, the the sort of key thing I've talked about, or the, the one that gets the most interest and traction, is that uh, it every registrar or registry has implemented their own method for receiving abuse notifications. Um, some people use an email, some people use a form, a uh, hybrid of the two. They're on different pages. They have different sets of required uh, evidence um, and they respond differently and they accept different types of abuse. And this sort of uh, diversity of options causes huge pain for uh, people with issues they wish to submit. And it also means that uh, often registrars and registries are getting low quality abuse reports. So they're getting unevidenced stuff that they just can't action. Uh, they're getting um, duplicates constantly. Um, and so it's really messy. And I think this is a key place where we can really make a difference. And my sense right now is that's going to be some sort of centralized abuse reporting tool um, mm -hmm. where it's a one-stop shop that you can go there, you can put in a domain name, it's going to figure out which registrar that actually belongs to, because that's an often frequent problem. It You're going to tell it what abuse you think it is, and it's going to say, great, for that, I need this information, uh, and then it can um, send that along. And, and you know, that sounds kind of rudimentary, but there's lots of this that I think is exciting. And um, boy, if you look at the abuse reporting pages for registrars, it's pretty clear something like that will be handy. And things like, you know, abuse cues at registries and registrars are long and filled with junk. And I think in a previous forum, someone from GoDaddy was saying they get something like 2000 reports of phishing a day. And it was like the vast majority of them were unactionable. They were unevidenced or they were duplicates. And so if you're paying people to wade through trash, you're not solving problems. And the more that we can enable people to, to solve problems, go after actual harms, uh, I, you know, the better I think we can make a pretty big difference there. So that's, that's one. Cool. I'm excited about it. Yeah, it, you, you can tell you're, you can tell you're excited. I mean, is there anything else you want to tell us about the Institute? Um, 
Ooh. This is your opportunity to speak to our millions of listeners. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. I you know, I, I guess I would say, you, you know, pay attention for that roadmap to come out because um, I think there's going to be a lot of um, good things in there and we'll do some sort of webinar on that. Um, and, and I would, so what I've learned in my, I've done an, a boatload of outreach, talking to people in recent history, uh, learning what their problems and pain points are around this space. And uh, it's been very apparent and, and most apparent to me in a conversation with um, uh, some of the anti-abuse people from RIPE, the European numbering organization, mm -hmm. uh, that all of their problems were the same problems around abuse. You know, they didn't have good evidence standards. Uh, they weren't good at working together. Um, you know, their abuse reports were, you know, messy. Uh, they didn't have a great set of best practices on how to address abuse. And so uh, I am, and maybe this is, I'm still too new at this job, really optimistic that there's a bunch of work that the Institute can do and we can do it in a generic enough fashion that these tools and resources will be useful for other bits of the internet infrastructure community as well. Be that hosting, be that numbering, you know, bits I haven't thought of or looked at yet. Um, and so that to me is like, it's super exciting. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we certainly wish you well, Graham. It sounds sounds like a, a an ambitious uh, but well worthwhile undertaking. Ambitious, I think, is right. I'm maybe still, as I said, you know, new and fresh at this. That I have all these great ideas and I haven't actually had to try and get them done and or adopted yet. Um, uh, and maybe that's actually a, a thing I should mention. Although I you, I don't want to talk for too long. Um, uh, <laughs> It seems really apparent that that for the institute to be successful, uh, I need to be able to develop tools and resources that don't require ending up on someone's development backlog, because across the industry, by and large, people are trying to consolidate platforms, keep these aging registrar platforms that were written in the mid 2000s up and running, and or find ways to generate new revenue, um, and saying, hey, go write this code that puts some friction in your registration system to prevent abuse, I think is going to be a tough sell. So I'm really, yeah, it makes sense, right? I think that's the sort of economic reality of this work. And so getting registrars and registries on board is going to, um, is all about making this activity and these actions and reducing these harms as easy and as enjoyable as possible. So that's a real focus for me. Great. Well, agree with Cricket, wish, wish you luck. Thanks. Well, should, should we move on to the mailbag? We, we cert certainly should, since I believe uh, we do have something in the mailbag, right? I'm, I'm going to be so useless for your mailbag. <laughs> you never know. You never know. That, uh, questions are, anyone who can contribute to the question. That's right. Uh, so so our, uh, our long-suffering listener, Yorgos Adamopoulos, uh, who has written us before uh, sent us a question back in back in March, and he says, "Hello, <laughs> Mr. DNS. I wonder whether there is going to be recodification of the DNS standards, so that if someone wants to start from scratch, does not have to read RFCs 1034 and 1035, and then go through all the other RFCs that change and change and change behaviors to the point that if one has not been implementing DNS for 30 years straight, you can't follow the exceptions." 
and he asks, can't we just have a single document describing the whole thing as it is today? Wow. That would be a hell of a document. Can you imagine? It, it would. Uh, do you know about the DNS camel viewer? Um, uh, Bert Hubert from PowerDNS yeah. was the one who's uh, talked about the DNS camel, the idea that you know each additional RFC that we pile onto the standard is like a, a straw that could break the back of the, the DNS camel. And uh, boy, I don't I don't know the website off the top of my head, but you you can go and, and look at the complete camel, all the documents that make it up, and it's 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 pretty overwhelming. Um, but that is a that's a reasonable request, and it would be wonderful. And there are other internet protocol communities that manage to do this, right? The HTTP yeah. HTTP folks do this. The SMTP folks do this. I mean, are those protocols? Is DNS more complicated than those protocols? I, I don't know. So um, I don't know. It might be it might be an indictment of the the DNS community to a certain extent. <laughs> you think it's that we're we're too lazy to <laughs> to aggregate all of the existing uh, RFCs into uh, a signal a, a single magnum opus? <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing is who. I mean, that's not really volunteer effort, right? Like who? It would have to be multiple people stepping away from their day jobs, I, I would think, or, you know, the job for some, uh, you know, some consultant to do. Yeah. And I also don't think, I, I mean, at any given point, DNS is a moving target, right? There's always new work being done. So you'd only ultimately be able to produce a, a snapshot in time, right? So let's yeah. say, let's say you and I and, um, you know, a hundred monkeys uh, with typewriters got to work on this today and we were done a year from now, well, it would be out of date at publication, right? Because right. But it wouldn't all... be 30 years out of date. Like No, that's true. It wouldn't be. Uh, and it might still be useful, but um, but there is, is uh, the issue that, that the standard, despite the fact that it's 30 years old, if you look at the, the uh, oldest parts of it, um, it still moves pretty fast. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, like, there are many people who have scars from trying to get documents published uh, related to DNS. I mean, by documents, I mean RFCs, right? And uh, so the community can be very contentious. And mm -hmm. when you see the friction that's happened for what you would think would be relatively simple documents, um, it's hard to imagine uh, the mind reels at how it would how it could possibly move through. I, I don't know. I don't know what you would do. So. Uh, yeah, it, is there is there some opportunity here to to understand what the problem is they're trying to solve and then work backwards? Because it 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 feels like it probably no one is trying to re-implement DNS from scratch. And so if it's a, I mean, maybe you are, and which seems pretty crazy. Uh, and so maybe there's a specific aspect of this that they're trying to understand. And, and there's the components that are probably more coming, uh, you know, more frequent in how they they bubble up. And so figure out those ones and, and prioritize. Yeah. You know what, though? I bet we would be horrified if we knew the number of implementations where somebody started with, a you know, an empty Emacs buffer <laughs> and started coding, right? And 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 they go back to RFC ten thirty four and ten thirty five once they manage to find it. So I I really do think there would be value in having you know if we could wave a magic wand and have this consolidated document 
so that you had fewer places to look if you were an implementer starting from scratch. So I, I do believe that is a, a valid use case. Now, is it, is it worth the tremendous effort that would be required? I don't know about that. <laughs> Listeners can't see this, but my hands are down. <laughs> <laughs> Not it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. This takes me back to our consulting days, Cricket. This would be a what a what a lucrative contract if we could get somebody to pay us to do this. I'd Oof, yeah, but <laughs> I I get asked relatively relatively frequently when I do uh, when I do webinars. When are you writing the sixth edition of DNS and Bind? And this, this is the same damn problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. The longer I put it off, the more work there is in, in updating it, and and it's it's really become. Uh, Sisyphean, I would say. <laughs> so I, when I, I shouldn't ask and force you to quote the date, but w when was the fifth edition published? Oh gosh, uh, two thousand six. Okay, two thousand six. I think so. By nine dot what? Oh, um, I think we're talking. I, I think it 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 talks sort of optimistically about my nine dot three. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> So, well, there you go. We're at nine dot nine dot sixteen is stable. Nine dot seventeen is the is the the experimental release. I'm sure you do. You remember when we visited nine fifty Charter, and they were just starting. Bob Halley was just starting on on by nine, and he was talking about it a little bit and showing us like the earliest, earliest, earliest. And we both left, and our brains were sort of full, thinking, "Wow, that's a really smart guy with a lot of work ahead of him." Yeah. Yeah. No, I do remember that conversation well. Yeah. Do, do you, so this, it's, I'm now taking you guys off track a little bit, um, but I think about this every now and then about the complexity of the DNS. Uh, and, and does, as clearly evidenced in the, in the RFCs and, and boy, that seems like a bunch of work to figure out. Uh, is this like a thing that leads to disruption in some sense where someone just says, this is bananas, scrap it. And they come up with something else, and you hear about DNS, blockchain, blah 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 blah. But does does that complexity sort of like is it a monster in your closet at all for you guys? Do you think about that being a, a problem, or is it just like an acceptable day to day reality of just how this works? I think it is guaranteed employment. <laughs> <laughs> it is for a lot of people, honestly. I mean, if you're if you're one of the the handful of people who really know your way around DNS, I think you're pretty much guaranteed a job. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think it's that easy. I mean, the, the the thing I like to point to when when folks say, "Well, you know, what 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 about when DNS two comes along and sweeps away all of the existing DNS?" I'm like, "Well, okay." You're going to replace literally billions and billions of stub resolver implementations. Um, you know, today you have a fairly rich ecosystem of DNS server implementations. You have, you know, all of these devices that think that they understand, um, you know, what a DNS message looks like, whether it's a, a next-gen firewall examining those at, uh, you know, at the, the fourth level of stack. It, it's it's a huge amount of earth to move. In order to in order to make that change, that's not to say it wouldn't be worthwhile, but it is a, an enormous task. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, I, I I see this I see this on the other side on the domain registration business where it's not nearly as complicated as the ecosystem you just talked about, but it's so clunky for people to try and 
express themselves on the internet where they have to identify a registrar that's maybe not their hosting company or maybe their website builder and mm -hmm. get a domain and point it. And it's just beyond most people. Um, and so the way that gets cleaned up and changed and how that changes this bit of the industry, I think is sort of an interesting thing to consider how that's going to happen. Yeah. And, and people are better at it every day. The, the, the website builders um, get more and more sophisticated and easier and easier to use. And so that whole like shared hosting model I see slowly disappearing. Um, and it's the DNS portion of this, or the domain name portion, I should maybe say, because it's a little different, uh, hasn't, I think, fully caught up. Well, I think that leaves us only with the witty banter section. <laughs> well, we look forward to it, particularly, particularly I think for, for this episode, because we won't mention how long it's been since the last episode, but given that it's late May in 2021, we've had, we've had some, some cool new things released, right? I know you and I have been reading some of the same stuff, man. Yes. Um, so I, the, the day it came out, I had already pre-ordered on Amazon um, the Hail Mary project um, by blanking on the author's name. That's what happens when you're over 50. Help. Andy, Andy uh, Weir. Thank you, Andy Weir. Yeah. Which was, I mean, you and I both loved it, I think. Yeah. It was a great book. Really fun. Did, did you happen to read it, Graham? Or, or are you aware of it? Uh, I'm not. I know, I know who Andy Weir is. Uh, I, he did The Martian, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I saw the movie. I, I haven't. I haven't read the book. I, I will say, and maybe this is like a. This is going to be the downfall of my witty banter and pop culture component. That my my pandemic uh, has been so weird that I like basically avoid all conflict in any form and just watch like <laughs> antiques roadshows. And I'm and and I'm I'm big into cycling, so I'm I'm like reading a documentary about a mountain in France. Oh, <laughs> so there's there's like no drama in my life, just easy living. Uh, all right, all right. Well, Hail Mary was definitely worth uh, worth a read. I I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't want to give away anything important to uh, uh, to any of our listeners, many of whom might well be fans of science fiction. I I, I don't know if I told you, Matt. I was I was talking about it. We have our uh, every week. We have two architecture review board meetings in InfoBlocks where we go through uh, designs that our field has produced for customers and make sure that they meet our, our standards. Um, but before one started, we were, uh, we were bantering uh, about this and that. And I mentioned that the book had come out and that I just finished it and really enjoyed it. And uh, one of the guys on the call, Ingmar, said, oh, uh, yeah, he said, I, 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 I enjoy his books. I, I actually... Um, have a buddy and we met up for lunch a couple years back and uh, he brought Andy Weir with him. Oh, he won and the I meeting. Said, I said, what? He said, yeah, he said, he said the Martian had come out, but um, you know, he wasn't all that well known. I knew who he was. So he said he, he was kind of a fanboy during the, during the lunch, but yeah, I mean, how much, how much fun would that be? Cool. Yeah. And then the other thing we've we both read recently that uh, that I really liked was uh, the, the sixth Murderbot uh, book by Martha Wells, which yeah. is this really fun series about this synthetic 
sort of half half organic, half machine, sort of mercenary security robot thing. And it's quite sarcastic, but not it's not sarcastic in a He's kind of uh, misanthropic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah kind of uh, kind of gloomy. <laughs> yeah, he's a hell of a character. Yeah. The sixth. Are these are these weighty tomes? Are these more no, they're digestible? Not. And in fact, fantastic for Martha Wells that she like I don't know what I paid for the thing, but I think it was like it, yeah. it's essentially they're, they're no, well, they're a little bigger than novellas, but uh, just barely. They're not long and yeah. they're like 14, 15 bucks. So, you know, hey, if she can, if she can command it, I'm happy to, I'm happy to pay for my murder bot fix. So yeah, no, you could easily, uh, you could easily read the, read the first one and, and enjoy it. Yeah. But is, is there conflict? <laughs> well, there is. There, there is. There All is. right. <laughs> Inevitably in, in, in novels. Right. All right. Uh, maybe I'll give that a try. I, you, you know, my roots are all science fiction. I, probably Ian M. Banks is my favorite author. But oh um, yeah, I've read. I, I've not read. Uh, I've not read a lot, but I've read some of his. Oh yeah, the the whole culture thing. I is amazing, and I love it to death. Yeah, I just finished um, Kim Stanley Robinson's Ministry for the Future. Did you have you guys read that? We were talking about that. I I was afraid that one's going to be not not. See there, I don't fear the conflict. I fear that it's just going to be depressing. It is. It's about it's about <laughs> climate change and. Uh, it is. Yeah, it's. I mean, ultimately, it's a little bit optimistic, but yeah, you pay the price. Now, um, did you read the one uh, going to the internet here? Uh, the one before is it New New York, New York, uh, uh, New York twenty one forty. No, I had I, I haven't read that one. I read oh. uh, Aurora by him not all that long ago. It looks like that's his uh, 2015 book, which was okay. I sort of feel like I got the premise pretty early, and it it kept going for a while. Yeah, yeah. I have a copy of Aurora. My son gave it to me for my birthday a while back. But uh, but yeah, sorry, I, Walter, I read Aurora, but and I don't usually do this with books. But I kind of was like I get bored, and I'm like. Could maybe just skip ahead and see what happens, and so I—that's <laughs> I, that's heretical for you. <laughs> I know I'm so obsessive that I have to read every word, right? But for yeah. something about that book, I, I mean, I, I ultimately enjoyed it because I like Kim Stanley Robinson, but I just didn't have the patience for it. So I, I, did I, I fast forward reading. I don't think that's a bad idea. I, I, Marshall McLuhan, who is a weirdo Canadian academic who did media theory, oh, yeah. uh, found most fiction. I think it was fiction, maybe it was nonfiction, both, let's say both, uh, so redundant that he would only read the even pages and just like deduce just what had happened because that was that that was made it more interesting to read most things for him, which I, yeah. I, I find a pretty that funny is idea. Delightfully eccentric. <laughs> I think I, re I remember reading somebody somebody's advice that as you um, trying to remember what it, what it was exactly, but it basically correlated how far you had to read into a book before giving up on it with your age. Okay. You know, like when you're young, you have to read at least, I don't know what it is, like 100, 100 pages. And if you're 90, maybe you read 10. Maybe it's 100 pages minus your age or something like that. Right. You do like, is it because you just have less time to live? And so you just can't, <laughs> you just can't waste that on bad book. I guess. 
I guess. It's a little grim, but I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm far too obsessive to... I, I, I rarely abandon a book. I just... And, and in fact, my... Uh, well, I maybe shouldn't say this in a in a podcast, but my uh, uh, my my wife's sister sent uh, some presents for the kids, and one was an interesting novel for my son, and it sort of looked I, I can't even remember the name of it because I and I, I don't want to give it any publicity, but I read this novel. And it was a series of sort of connected stories, and each one just kind of was not a happy ending. Like it was these characters <laughs> all sort of related at this newspaper and happy things were not happening to them. And I got to the end of the book and it just, I was like, why did I read this? And I literally, right. I recycled it. It went uh -huh. into the recycling bin and I, I want, wanted nothing to do with it. But yet, despite that, I read to the last page. Yeah. Yeah. I had, there, there are just a handful of, of books that, that uh, I have in fact read to the end and, and gotten to the end and, and said, I hated that. <laughs> I hated that damn book. <laughs> I, I mean, to your the previous bit, life is short. You know, you why why suffer through something that you're really not getting anything out of? Yeah, don't 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 say that. Some of our listeners just just uh, <laughs> <laughs> just hung up on the on the podcast. No, this is top tier entertainment. <laughs> they are missing out. Yeah. Well, on well, that I, note, what do you think, cricket? I, I think it's time. I think um, I think I, I, I should go ahead and take us out. So uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. Uh, it's always fun to have you. Um, we, we, we will hope to have another uh, episode before too long. So um, if you have your questions, please send them in to Mr. DNS at ask-mrdns.com. Is it ask-mrdns.com? It is, yes. Yes, it is. Um, and uh, and thanks very much um, to Graham for, for joining us and for telling us um, all about the DNS Abuse Institute. We do appreciate it. And again, we, we wish you all the best. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Enjoyed it a lot. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.